Okay, this is Bill Weinberg on the Counter Vortex, ranting at you on the evening of August 10th. And uh, a lot of uh, you longtime listeners will be aware of my ongoing problems, my ongoing struggle with Verizon to simply try to maintain the phone and internet access that I pay for every month. And it has now reached the point where, uh, well, I've been cut off yet again. And finally, they are virtually admitting to me that they are not going to fix the line in violation of the law, as I shall demonstrate over the course of this rant. So I've been left with no alternative but to um, consider litigation. And I'm speaking to an attorney. We're looking into what the options are here. And I'm trying to line up co-plaintiffs, people who have similarly been deprived of the service they are entitled to by law by Verizon. And uh, all right, I should make clear here that I am uh, one of the, the last people in New York City who still uses a landline, still uses those copper wires. I'm on DSL, and um, I basically have no choice, as I shall demonstrate. And uh, you know what I find particularly ironic about all of this is that um, Going back, I don't remember exactly, probably between 15 and 20 years when I w ago, when I was still on dial-up, and everybody was laughing at me and saying, oh, you can't be on dial-up, all the cool kids are on DSL. Just switch to DSL, you dinosaur, then your life will improve and everything will be wonderful. So finally, I took the plunge, and I, uh, I ditched dial-up for DSL, and it has been absolutely nothing but a nightmare from the beginning to the end. A constant struggle. Years of, well, strictly speaking, not constant, because I do have intervals when I have reliable service. <laughs> but uh, years of intermittent struggle. And I'm talking about every few months just to maintain that DSL connection. Having to, you know, fight the bureaucracy at Verizon and try to and, and fight the bureaucracy of the um, of the public authorities which are ostensibly charged with uh, with regulating Verizon and trying to get them to enforce the law on Verizon and give me the service that I pay for every month and I'm entitled to by law and now when I complain about this everybody tells me oh you're still on DSL all the cool kids are on wireless just switch to wireless and your life will be wonderful. So I find this all extremely ironic. And um, essentially, as I shall demonstrate once again, not only is DSL a service which I, which I am uh, entitled to by law, or at least the telephone wire that carries the DSL signal is something I am entitled to by law, to be strictly accurate, but um, I also have no alternative to DSL. I tried. I made the mistake of trying to get off of a few years ago, about five years ago, when there was an outage. And after, you know, several outages, one after another for years, I finally said, OK, enough of this. And I, you know, fell for the, um, the bait and switch advertising of the cable company, which was then called Time Warner and is today called um, Spectrum. They said no hassle. And it turned out to be a huge hassle. But I'm getting ahead of myself. First, I should make clear that every time the line goes dead, which has become more and more frequent in recent years, Hurricane Sandy in 2012 
was the real turning point. Obviously, the, the copper wires that carry the signal were damaged in the flooding during Hurricane Sandy. And the company, Verizon, made a conscious decision at that point not to repair the copper wires. And the outages have become much more frequent and much more lengthy since then. The lengthiest was uh, between November 2018 and February 2019. So a period of three months. But that was just the lengthiest. And now uh, I have been without service once again since uh, completely without service. It was starting to get spotty uh, before that, but completely without service, just the phone completely dead since July 27th, and it's now August 10th. And this time they are saying essentially that they aren't going to fix it. So I should make clear every time that this happens, I file complaints in addition to, you know, trying to get through to Verizon, which is itself kind of a catch-22. Because, uh, you know, if you don't have a phone and you don't have internet, how are you supposed to reach them? And initially, like back in, uh, back in uh, November of 2018 and prior to that, I would actually have to go out to a payphone in the street to call Verizon and then wait on, you know, on hold for 40 minutes before I finally get through to a phone jockey, literally standing at a payphone out in the street. Now, today, of course, you can't even do that because there are no more payphones. They're eliminating payphones. Completely dystopian. So how am I supposed to even complain to Verizon if I don't have a phone? Well, the answer to that question actually is to how I've been able to and how I've been able to get onto the Internet to do my to do the work that I need to do every day as a freelance writer. That's how I make a living. I'm dependent on an Internet connection. Hello. During that three month outage, my brother. Thank you, Matt actually uh, got me a cell phone. I've been resisting all my life getting a cell phone, but he finally got me a cell phone. Uh, so I've been actually able to um, jury rig a connection through the hotspot on the cell phone. I shudder to think how much this is costing. My brother has been picking up the bill, but between the two of us, and you know, I consider that you know I owe him that money, but between the two of us now, we're paying two bills. I'm paying Verizon for DSL service every month, and he's paying... Uh, for the uh, the cellular connection every month. So we're actually paying two bills for completely inferior service. Again, I'll get to that. Every time the line goes out, I contact the, uh, the competent authorities. First, I have to contact Verizon. And it's, you know, the, the wait times get longer and longer and longer and longer and longer. It can literally be up to an hour before you actually get through to a phone jockey. If you're not disconnected while you're waiting, listening to music, just maddening. And on top of that, I, uh, you know, I contact the, the New York State Public Service Commission, the Federal Communications Commission, the New York City Department of Information Technology and Telecommunications, or do it. <clears throat> and uh, this time around, um, in addition to uh, all that, I've also contacted my, well, I started contacting my elected representatives in addition to that. More about that later. But this time around, I've also uh, contacted the New York State Attorney General and the Manhattan District Attorney. Thus far to no response. It's been, uh, you know, uh, a week and counting. It's been uh, almost two weeks at this point. Thus far, no response. Now, as to why this is a long-term problem, <clears throat> every time it happens, I get all of these promises from Verizon. Eventually, after, you know, days and days and days, weeks, of effort, 
I managed to get through to uh, somebody at a higher level than the phone jockeys who serve as flat catchers for, for management. And I get through to um, the Office of Executive Relations. And I'm promised up and down, oh, we're terribly sorry, Mr. Weinberg. We'll uh, make sure that this never happens again, blah, 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 blah. We'll definitely fix it permanently. And, uh, of course, they never do. And, uh, you know, a couple of months later, it's happening again. And uh, during the whole time, this, you know, they've been playing this game for the past several years. It's the, uh, the low-level technicians that I've had to deal with who have told me informally what, of course, we already knew, that Verizon was letting the copper wires deteriorate in a bid to get everybody onto wireless. Okay, well now, for the first time, Verizon itself is admitting this. The last person I spoke to at Verizon Executive Relations told me, quote, we cannot promise a permanent fix, end quote. Verizon official actually wrote that in an email to me, quote, we cannot promise a permanent fix, end quote, verbatim. And now I am going to demonstrate how this is completely illegal. And it's utterly, utterly maddening that the Public Service Commission, the Federal Communications Commission, the New York City Department of Information and Telecommunications Technology, and all the other competent authorities, right on up to the New York State Attorney General and the Manhattan DA, have no interest in enforcing the law on Verizon. Okay, now, um, a website by the name of Extreme Tech reported back in 2016, quote, For the past few years, there have been persistent reports from across the country that Verizon was forcing end users to switch away from copper networks by deliberately tearing out infrastructure, firing repair crews, forcing customers to wait months for repair, and then claiming to Congress that its fiber conversion is driven by demand. In reality, that demand is being manufactured. End quote. Okay, but that was uh, back in 2016. Since then, things have gotten much worse. Because if fiber optic was available in my building, Fios is what Verizon calls their fiber optic service. That's their brand name. If that was available in my building, I would accept it. But it isn't. Because after allowing the, um, the copper wires to deteriorate and getting fat rate hikes approved by the Public Service Commission in the ostensible name of fiber optic conversion, Verizon then went ahead and did not complete the fiber optic conversion. In March of 2017, nine years after Verizon promised to make Fios available to every household in New York City, the city sued the company, saying that it had failed to keep that pledge. Under the 2008 Franchise Agreement, Verizon committed to build a citywide Fios network by the end of 2014, but the city contended that Verizon had failed to make the service available to at least, quote, tens of thousands, end quote, of New Yorkers, and I am one of those. Despite the massive rate hikes that were approved by the, by the PSC, ostensibly to fund Fios conversion, I never received the service that I paid for. Fios is not available in my building. I am one of the thousands of New York, tens of thousands of New Yorkers who were allowed to slip through the cracks. And now I'm not even receiving the DSL service. 
Okay, so let's go through my uh, my options here. Okay, <laughs> dial-up is obviously long gone. Now DSL is effectively gone as well. Fios is not available. All right, now I was saying that I tried to uh, to switch a couple of years back. I just got tired of um, of dealing with Verizon, and I tried to switch to cable. I fell for their bait and switch advertising, which promised quote unquote no hassle <laughs> to convert to um, to switch to cable. <clears throat> that was what the company then called Time Warner, today called Spectrum, said in the advertising pitch that I received in the mail. And of course, it proved to be a total Kafka-esque nightmare, which only, you know, extended my service outage by a month. So it turned out, which they never told me, that they wouldn't even send a, um, a technician to my apartment until I'd signed up with them and transferred my phone number from uh, Verizon to the cable company, today called Spectrum. And when the technician comes, it turned out, which they had not told me in advance, that it was going to be, you know, this massive all-day operation, which not only would entail moving furniture around, which is angst-inducing enough in my extremely cluttered apartment where I've been living for upwards of 30 years now, that wouldn't have been a deal-breaker. It just would have been a big, big hassle. The deal-breaker, beyond the hassle, but an actual deal-breaker, is that installing the cable entailed drilling through an exterior wall. In the tenement building I live in here on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, which is already upwards of 130 years old and is suffering from structural damage from previous landlords removing supporting walls in the basement and stuff like that. Now, there was a case that I reported on back in, I believe it was 1997, for The Tenant, publication of the uh, Metropolitan Council on Housing, about a, um, an, apartment full of, an apartment building full of um, mostly... Dominican and Bengali immigrants down on um, Stanton Street, which was deemed by the city authorities to be to have suffered structural damage and to be in imminent threat of collapse. And the city office of um, emergency management showed up one evening and ordered everybody out of the building on no notice. And I mean, no notice. Just leave right now. And they were herded out onto the sidewalk, and they had to watch in horror as a city demolition crew came in with a wrecking crane and destroyed their homes in front of their eyes. All of their belongings lost in the rubble. Their pets killed in the rubble. That is not happening in the building where I live, where I have made my home for the past 30 years and more. I am not going to, you know, allow them to drill through an exterior wall and further, you know, place... Uh, the structural integrity of my home at risk. So that was a deal breaker in terms of the cable installation. I was forced to go back to Verizon with my tail between my legs. And then it took another month of dealing with Kafka-esque bureaucracy to get the telephone number transferred back from the cable company to Verizon. So trying to switch to cable only extended the nightmare by another month. Another month when I was without service. Okay, so those are, uh, you know, all of the options except the one which I'm currently using, which is improvising a connection off of a cell phone hotspot, which is a terrible slow connection constantly being dropped. I have to battle the controls 
of the cell phone and the computer to get back online several times a day. A work project that should take me an hour takes me three hours because of all the time I spend battling the controls to get back online and waiting for, um, for, for web pages to load in this painfully slow connection. So obviously not a workable solution either. In addition to which, every time I try to use the, um, the cell phone as a phone, actually try to have a conversation on it, the sound quality is terrible. The signal is almost entirely drowned out in static. Whereas, you know, at least up until Hurricane Sandy, for all of those years that I've been living here, you know, the first 25 years or whatever that I was living here before Hurricane Sandy, I always had sterling sound quality on my landline. It started to deteriorate a bit, you know, static and so on after Hurricane Sandy. But up until that point, sterling sound quality. So to me, this is just another one of the many ways that we are being snookered by corporate power into accepting inferior service. But there's a bigger point here. With DSL, I essentially had, you know, limitless capacity in terms of my internet usage. And again, working at home as a freelance writer means that I need to use the internet basically all day. With the wireless internet service, there are what's called data caps. And in fact, because for the past uh, two weeks, whatever it's been, you know, I've been using the hotspot essentially all day to get my work done. My brother informs me that he just uh, received communication from the wireless company telling him that they were uh, jacking up the bill because I was um, above the data limit. So again, another clear indication of how DSL is the superior product and what Verizon and, and you know, their corporate cohorts are pretending is, you know, you know, this conversion, wireless conversion is driven by consumer demand. They've actually been creating that consumer demand because it is in their interests, not ours. All right. Now, getting back to the question of legal responsibilities, the DSL service and the landline service are provided by an entity called Verizon New York, whereas uh, the wireless is provided by a company called Verizon Wireless, which are two separate subsidiaries of Verizon Communications. The first of those two, but not the second, Verizon New York, is a public utility under New York state law. Verizon New York, as it is today called, has been a statewide utility since 1896 when it was launched as the New York Telephone Company, way back in 1896, regulated under the New York State Public Utility Law. Not the parent company, Verizon Communications, but just the subsidiary, Verizon New York, which provides DSL and landline service. Public utility. Regulated more closely by the Public Service Commission, and also since passage of the Federal Communications Act of 1934, regulated by the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC. Under Title II of the Federal Communications Act of 1934, utilities are responsible for providing and maintaining what is called common carrier, quote, unquote. Now, this goes back to the concept of common carriage, quote, unquote, in English common law which originally applied to uh, transport on public roads in England in medieval times. This service is a public trust. 
even if a private company is licensed to provide it. As a, quote, carrier of last resort, end quote, these are all legal terms, this service is a right afforded to all. In contrast, under the Telecommunications Act of 1996, drafted when the Internet was in its infancy, information services, quote, unquote, are considered to be simply private property and held not to be covered under Title II of the Federal Communications Act of 1934, and therefore with fewer responsibilities to the public. Okay, now in the intervening years here, between 1934 and uh, 1996, the New York Telephone Company was gobbled up by the AT&T Leviathan, which after its breakup in 1984 became an entity called 9X, which in turn became Bell Atlantic as the baby bells began to recongeal in the 1990s. Following a merger with GTE, it became Verizon in the year 2000. Verizon Communications has spun off countless subsidiaries and today also owns AOL, Yahoo, Huffington Post, etc. But through all of these changes, it is oft forgotten that Verizon New York, today just a one of those subsidiaries, remains a public utility under state law. Not publicly owned, privately owned, but a public utility in the sense of having legal responsibilities to the public. Providing a phone line to every New Yorker remains under the law a public entitlement. But the trick is that those responsibilities go with the landline service. Once the landline service is allowed to die, Verizon has no more responsibilities to the public than some company selling widgets or ice cream. There's no more common carriage. There's no more carrier of last resort. There's no more responsibility to provide phone service to every New York State resident. Now, technically, that public entitlement, I do not believe, by my understanding of the law, that public entitlement does not apply to DSL. However, the DSL goes through the same copper wire as the telephone, the landline, that the law does apply to. So, effectively, it amounts to the same thing. But once again, I'll have more to say about this later. Just a, a couple of further things to point out on the tip we're talking about at the moment. One is that it's an irony that the uh, so-called wireless network actually still needs wires, or the fiber optic lines to be more precise. Under the, uh, the coming 5G network, the so-called fifth generation of wireless technology, these fiber optic lines will connect to a, you know, a, what they're calling a small cell site on top of a lamppost or a rooftop or whatever with, that um, receives the signal from your phone and sends it on to other cell sites so that you can communicate with other people's phones. So it's only the last hundred yards or whatever from the cell site to your phone that is wireless. So basically, it's a scam. They want to actually get rid of, you know, that last hundred yards uh, or whatever it is of wire that runs between uh, your apartment, if you've still got a landline, and the main trunk so that they can get out of their public entitlement responsibilities. It's a scam. Will you understand this? And oh, by the way, 
There's also a union-busting angle here, because the landline service workforce is unionized by the communication workers of America, and Verizon has been successfully resisting attempts to unionize the wireless company. So once again, once those, land once, once those landlines are allowed to die, Verizon effectively has no more unionized workforce and doesn't have to deal with the CWA. And finally, getting back to my own personal situation here, it's almost completely forgotten, and nobody gives a fig, shall we say, about us, but there are thousands, at least, who are in the position that I am in, who have been left without any reliable service at all. Now, back in um, September 2018, there was a public meeting held at um, Our Lady of Pompeii Church on Bleecker Street in Greenwich Village, at which um, irate landline users were griping about how they had been left in the lurch by Verizon, as I have. And the meeting was actually presided over by two local politicians, State Senator Brad Holliman and Assembly Member Deborah Glick. And at the time, I'd, I'd have been at the meeting if I'd known about it beforehand. I didn't. I only found out about it afterwards when it was reported in the Villager local newspaper down here on, uh, in Lower Manhattan. <clears throat> so unfortunately, I was not at the meeting. But I complained to Deborah Glick's office after that because she's actually uh, my assembly member. I'm in her district. And I applauded her for uh, taking up this issue, and I prevailed upon her to try to, um, you know, uh, put some pressure on Verizon to give me the service I'm entitled to by law. <clears throat> in fact, I'd been in touch with her office even before that, because back during, uh, I believe it was the 2015 outage, somebody at her office actually did get in touch with uh, Verizon Executive Relations on my behalf and, um, and got them to finally, uh, you know, after weeks of being out, restore my service. But this time around, even though it was just two years ago, not even two years ago, that um, Deborah Glick presided at that meeting at, um, at the church on Bleecker Street, now she seems to have completely dropped the issue. And I've been trying to, uh, to get her office to respond, and they have been very, very slow to respond, which is very, very disappointing. And obviously, they need to go beyond merely on an individual case-by-case, -case, piecemeal basis contacting Verizon Executive Relations on behalf of some hapless consumer who's been left in the lurch. There needs to be a systematic solution to this problem, because Verizon is in violation of the law, and Verizon is trying to weasel out of its public entitlement responsibilities as a utility regulated by the New York State Public Utility Law. All right, so I'm just going to wrap this up by making, uh, you know, a couple of uh, final critical points here. The central one is this. Those of us who are still on landlines and refusing to let go of our landlines, in addition to some of us, such as myself, having no alternative in any case, but on top of that, all of us, whether we realize it or not, whether all of us realize it or not, we are the last holdouts who are resisting Verizon's sinister conspiracy, and that is exactly what it is, to weasel out of their public trust responsibilities. We are on the front lines of, res of resisting a full transition to direct corporate rule, where we, where we are at all completely at the mercy of private corporations with no actual legal responsibilities to the public. 
So while I am trying to rouse the bureaucracy and rouse law enforcement and rouse my elected officials to put pressure on Verizon, including legal pressure on Verizon, to give us the services that we're entitled for, ultimately, right, and while I'm also considering launching litigation, looking into my options to see about that, what I am ultimately calling for is a public takeover of Verizon, a public expropriation of the entire company and all of its infrastructure and technology and putting it at the service of the public good rather than private profits and making not only preserving telephone access as a public entitlement, which it remains under state law, which is going completely unenforced and nobody even seems to remember today, but actually expanding that public entitlement and making internet access a public entitlement as well, because it is just as necessary to getting along in society today, for better or for worse, it is just as necessary to getting along in society today as mere telephone access mere voice line access. Internet access should be a public entitlement as well. And of course, you know, what Verizon wants to do is move everything in exactly the opposite direction, where even simple, you know, voice telephone access is no longer a public entitlement. So once again, those of us who are clinging to our landlines, no, we aren't, you know, these anachronistic dinosaurs who just can't get with the program and, we're, and, and, and are living in the past, stuck in our quaint little ways. No, we are on the front lines of resisting a transition to corporate rule, to corporate and digital totalitarianism. So it's now being reported that New York State Attorney General Letitia James is considering legal action that could, quote-unquote, dissolve the National Rifle Association. Okay, great. Letitia? I want you to initiate legal action which will dissolve Verizon. That's why I say Verizon Delenda Est. Verizon must be destroyed. It must be destroyed as a juridical entity and taken over as a public utility owned by the public and serving the interests of the public. A couple of final points as I wrap up here. You know, <clears throat> A part of the reason that I've been um, resisting using a, um, a cell phone all of these years is, you know, the, the, the implications for surveillance are obviously absolutely terrifying. The powers that be, in addition to have, you know, to having the ability to, to track every, um, every call you make and every purchase you make and blah, 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 blah. Now they actually have the ability to literally track every move you make if you actually carry around a cell phone, as most people do, which I do not. Even now that I have one of these odious devices in my home of necessity, I don't walk around with it. But, you know, the vast majority of people today do. And you're just like, you know, leaving a, um, a digital record of every, literally every place that you go. I mean, you know, the, 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 the Fourth Amendment is, not, is no longer worth the paper that it's written on, as long as we're using this technology. But now that I've actually been uh, been using the damn thing, that I've actually got one of the damn things and I've actually been using it, and I'm finding that, you know, there's a certain number of people out there who, um, you know, they just refuse to actually talk on the phone. They refuse to answer email. The only way to communicate with them is by what's called texting. And I've always, you know, refused to text. Well, I haven't even had the ability to text because I don't have a cell phone. But I've always, you know, refused to text 
partially because I just found it, you know, odious that text, which is a noun, is now being used as a verb. But now that I've actually been forced to, quote-unquote, text, I'm only developing a, um, a deeper appreciation of just how sinister this technology is. When you're texting online on your phone, the damn device is constantly, you know, following the train of what you're typing and trying to anticipate your next word so that you can just, you know, click on the word and it'll auto-complete out the full word. So, like, if you write, how are you doing? It will, you know, try to guess. Are you trying to say, how are you doing today? And then you just click on today and the, and, and the, the sentence will automatically complete itself. This is allowing the technology to do our writing for us, which ultimately means to do our thinking for us. So in addition to, you know, this technology destroying our, in our attention spans, which I've been ranting about for years with everything in these little bite-sized digestible texts and tweets, which essentially makes for, you know, deep attention deep concentration and nuanced understanding makes it impossible. It's actually eroding our ability to write autonomously and to construct our own thoughts by doing our thinking for us. And I say ability because thinking is a skill. Especially critical thinking is a skill. And like all skills, if you do not exercise it, it erodes. This technology is so sinister top to bottom. But nonetheless, <clears throat> especially in light of COVID-19 and social distancing and distance learning and all of that, it is utterly critical to getting along in society. As ultimately poisonous to the human mind and to human autonomy as I think it is, obviously the way things are constructed at this moment, it's more critical than ever, which makes it more criminal than ever, that Verizon and their corporate cohorts are being allowed to get away with denying this service to large swaths of the public. Internet access should be a public entitlement, period. Okay, if you want to get up to speed uh, on all of this, you can read the, uh, the piece that I wrote for the Village Sun newspaper earlier this year entitled, New Yorkers Stand Up to Wireless Tyranny. Just Google that phrase and it'll come right up. And you can also, if you're a fellow landline user who's been left in the lurch, you can consider joining the lawsuit, which I may be launching in the days to come. You can contact me through my website, countervortex.org. I urge you to do so. The more plaintiffs we got on board, the more likely that we can win some justice. So while I think that it's very, very important to have a critique of the technology, let me emphasize that point. I'm not a Luddite. I'm not calling for a great purge. And I should mention, as long as I brought up COVID-19, you know, that uh, I also believe that there are, despite all of the um, alarmism about conspiracy theories about the health impacts of 5G, I think that it is at least worth considering that there are, in fact, health impacts to being constantly immersed in electromagnetic radiation, as we are, and as is necessary for a wireless society. I think this has not received enough study. And while, you know, this notion that, you know, 5G, quote-unquote, causes COVID-19 is obviously nonsense, I have to say again, as I said before, 
in the podcast I did about uh, COVID-19 conspiracy theory, that there aren't too many people who actually seem to be saying that. It seems to be more, you know, that's how the critique is being portrayed in irresponsible media accounts. Now, obviously, the notion that, the, you know, 5G causes COVID-19 is utterly, utterly baseless. But the notion that um, 5G and the, the ubiquitous electromagnetic pollution caused by 5G is um, impacting our immune systems and making us more vulnerable to COVID-19, that doesn't sound quite as wacky, does it? That may warrant more scrutiny by the scientific community. I'll just leave it at that. And to try to portray the critique as, you know, people saying that, that uh, you know, 5G causes COVID-19 is a sleazy little media trick, because I don't see too many people saying that. If there are people saying that, well, they're wrong and they need to be called out. But once again, while I think it's imperative to have a, um, a critique of the technology, I'm not calling for a great purge. And I'm not a Luddite. I mean, I kind of wish I was because <laughs> I might be happier that way, but you can't be a Luddite in today's society. You know, Luddites with websites? I mean, come on. There probably are Luddite websites out there, but it's obviously an inerrant contradiction. So I'm not calling for some great cataclysmic purge of all digital technology and all wireless technology, but I am calling for resistance. Legal, nonviolent, cultural resistance. And a part of that cultural resistance must be maintaining landlines, just as I think that, you know, while we can't abolish the World Wide Web, or at least not immediately, a part of the cultural resistance to the, you know, digitization of all technology must be the survival of print publications. Landlines are also worth fighting for, just in their own right, as superior technology, they are worth fighting for apart from the more immediate and pressing issue that when those landlines go, we've lost a public entitlement and we have become mere wards of consumerism and corporate power, as opposed to citizens with rights under the law. That's the critical point. Thank you for listening. Again, if you want to join the uh, lawsuit, which I am considering, contact me through my website, countervortex.org. Check out my story online, New Yorkers Stand Up to Wireless Tyranny. Be in touch. Let me know what you think. Join the resistance. Join the Counter Vortex and rant on you next time.